This podcast is brought to you by Nesta, the UK's Innovation Foundation, and was recorded at FutureFest, our weekend festival of ideas. Boulders, spit, and laser dollars. This is the FutureFest podcast. I'm Emily Elias, and this time we're looking at what makes money, money. On this episode, John Lanchester examines the pound. Mathematically, statistically, your, your pound coin is actually worth 97p. Biohacker and designer Raf Kim ditches notes and coins for spit and snot. The biohackers have decided to put money where the mouth is, so to speak. And right before your very ears, comedian and scientist Dr. Steve Cross invents laser dollars. Before we get to inventing new types of money, let's stop, take a moment, and figure out what is money. Journalist John Lanchester breaks down how we all came to agree to the basics of our financial system. If you look at if any of you have a pound coin on you, the question with that is, what's that worth? Well, again, the answer is really obvious. A pound is a pound is a pound, right? So the odd thing about the pound is that according to the Royal Mint, who are the people who actually make them, 3%, just over 3% of all the pound coins in circulation are fake. So mathematically, statistically, your, your pound coin is actually worth 97p, because you have to discount it by 3% for the very real chance it's a fake. There, there will be many, many, many fake pound coins in this room, statistically. But in practice, you won't have any money spending it. Your pound will still be worth a pound because people believe it is. I mean, that's unless you have one of those kind of really incredibly bad fakes, which are, you know, the ones that are like sort of partially chewed fruit pastels, um, which are so bad they're actually endearing. But in practice, your pound is worth a pound is worth a pound because we choose to believe it. We trust money, and that's what gives it its value. And paradoxically, that replaces other kinds of trust. If we're in a transaction in a market, I'm buying something from you, I don't have to trust you. I trust the money instead. The money is what it says it is. And, and that function is essential to what money is. So that's point one. Money is based on trust. But most money isn't actually this stuff today. 2007, $473 trillion of money in circulation in the world economy. That's a, a number so big, it's actually quite difficult to understand. It's, it's 45,000 pounds of money for every one of the 7 billion people on the planet. And that's, that's money, that's not physical assets, buildings, land, property or anything. It's, it's actual just currency, cash value. But it's not actual cash. The actual cash in circulation is less than a tenth of that, $46 trillion. So more than 90% of all the money in the world isn't actually money in this sense. And by the way, the figures number for the, higher for the UK, it's, only 4% is actually money like that. What it is instead is entries on registers. It's things on your bank balance saying that that's what your bank balance is. Now, to get a, an image of how that works, it's uh, helpful to think about a place called Yap in the Pacific. Um, and if you want to study the money in Yap, you can either, there's two ways of doing it, you can either go to Heathrow, get on a plane to Tokyo, then get on a plane to Guam, then get on a plane to Micronesia, then get on a fourth plane run by the Pacific Mission Aviation Service to Yap, uh, or alternatively, you can just go to the British Museum, because they've got some of it there. It's probably easier, really. 
um, on the third floor. It's an amazing room of money exhibit. And the coinage and yap, the thing is that they have no, they've got no metal. They've got nothing to make coins of. So what they do is they make it out of, they, they sail to an island called Pulau. I was going to say a nearby island, but it's not really. It's 250 miles away across open water. And Pula has a particular kind of limestone that they don't have on Yap. So they quarry the limestone, they shape it into these distinctive circular shapes with a hole in the middle, and some of them are absolutely massive. The biggest of these coins are 12 feet across, so that's sort of from here, so two wingspans, beyond the edge of the stage. Imagine a stone coin that size. Sail it back to Yap, and then it's used as money. And it works very well for a number of reasons. It can't be counterfeited, because there is no limestone on yet. Um, it keeps its value very well, because obviously, it's, by definition, it's very hard to get hold of this stuff. You don't have to worry about the market being flooded by 12-foot limestone circles. Um, and it's impossible to steal it, because the, the big coins are so freaking big, you just can't steal it. But by the same token, it's impossible to move the bigger coins. So what happens when they're, when they're spent is that, say, I've got one of these stonking great coins, I want to buy your house. I tell you, OK, that's now your coin, and I own your house. And you agree, and we tell the chiefs who keep in, in memory, who keep a register of who owns the coin, and the, and the, coins, and the chief says, yeah, OK, that's now, that's now her coin. And the ownership has been transferred. And then when you, in turn, want to spend the coin, again, you just tell the chief that the ownership of the coin has been transferred. And it functions very well. And the point is that that's the register of ownership that actually is the money. The money is the register. It's the record of who owns it. And this works so well that um, sometimes on the way back from Pulau, they, they're hit by a storm. And they have to chuck the coins overboard to save themselves. And then they get back to Yap and say, we had this stonking great coin. We had to lob it overboard. And they say, oh, OK, that's fine. Whose coin was it? And you say whose coin it was. They say, OK, fine, it's still your coin. And you can still spend the coin. The, the ownership can still be transferred backwards and forwards, even though the actual physical coin is five miles down at the bottom of the Pacific. Now, that seems odd, but our money is the same. It's just things moving on registers. If you get paid weekly or monthly or whatever, the sum moves from your employer's bank balance to yours. Chunk goes out in PAYE, chunk goes out in insurance, you know, rent, mortgage, whatever. These are just numbers moving on balance sheets. And that is the main thing about what money is today. So that's the second point. Money is this register. The third thing about money is that it has a crucial link with technology. Money and technology are Siamese twins. The um, oldest, I think the most, we tend to think of technology as shiny things. As someone once said, technology is stuff that doesn't work yet, or nearly works. Like my iPhone is technology, but I don't think of my glasses as being technology, even though they are. In fact, I, probably the most important piece of technology I have. I think the most important piece of technology in human history is writing, and writing emerges from record-keeping for money in ancient Sumer, third millennia BC. Again, British Museum, go and see it. It starts as tokens representing commodities, and then they start making notes on the tokens to represent the amount of the commodity, and then that evolves into writing. Again, record-keeping and money intimately linked. But the really big one, in terms of how the modern world works, comes with uh, technologies that arrived in Renaissance Italy, the technologies of record-keeping that made it possible for there to be a central register of who owned what. So before that, you have a society that has 
myriads, near infinite variety of transactions between individuals. We're backwards and forth on an individual basis, swapping credits and obligations, things, barter, going backwards and forwards. And after the central technology of record keeping, you have a bank that holds the register of those credits and debits. Instead of this variety of one-to-one -one transactions, you have a register which holds all the society's debts and credits in one place. And the bank is the intermediary. The bank is like the central memory of the society, like the tribal chiefs in Yap. And the first bank to do that, to gather together most of the debts in one, one place, using this new technology of balance sheets and record keeping, was the Medici Bank in Florence in the 15th century. And since when, that has been the central role for banks as a kind of central repository of debts and credits. And the next big step is about a mile away from here, uh, with the invention or creation of the first central bank, 1694. And what happens is that the, the um, sovereign wants money for the usual reasons that sovereign want money. Anyone guess? Banger, war. Uh, in this case, they wanted to build a navy to fight the French. They didn't have enough money to do it. So they borrowed a lot of gold from a company called the Bank of England, which, by the way, was a private company until after the end of the Second World War. Borrows lots of gold for the Bank of England, and in return, gives the Bank of England the right to issue paper money and then, crucially, it's the right for taxes, ordinary citizens' taxes, to be paid in that paper money. And at that point, you have this three-headed entity is born. The, the central bank, the state, and money are, in effect, the same thing. They're different aspects of the same entity. It's a, it's a triple-headed monster like the dog Cerebrus. Now, the exciting thing about the current moment is, for the first time in in hundreds of years, I mean, arguably even the first time in human history, we have forces coming which can change all those things about the nature of trust, the nature of the register, and the nature of technology in relation to money. And one group trying to figure out that relationship with technology is the Future Money Design Awards. The awards aim to stretch the definition of currency. Its goal is to task designers to think outside of the box when it comes to designing money. And when I say design, I am not talking about whose face goes on the back of a coin. Imagine, if you will, a future where our most valuable asset is our bodily fluids. And that becomes the basis of our monetary system. That is what Raf Kim did. The London-based biohacker and designer spoke at FutureFest about his brand of liquid assets that just so happened to win the 2015 Future Money Design Awards. So have you ever thought about French kissing someone or intimately kissing someone other than your partner? Maybe a complete stranger perhaps, or even a member of your own family, which is very cringeworthy. Uh, what about spitting as well? Um, have you ever spat at a street busker who's playing shit music? No, okay, good. <laughs> and what about um, spitting to a charity donation box? Is that right? Surely that's, that's, that's wrong. You've tried it, haven't you? <laughs> and what about uh, spitting at a homeless person? Is that uh, ethically right or wrong? If our spit, the saliva, and the bacteria that's contained in, within the saliva become a new form of money, uh, these are some of the awkward situations we may encounter as part of our daily lives. Peck as you go is a scientifically based but a speculative idea of using our bodies as a living bank. Disenchanted by the financial monopoly of the central banking system, 
the biohackers have decided to put money where the mouth is, so to speak. It's an independent system the users can store, grow, transfer, and exchange biological data within our communities whenever they want and however they want to manage it. Think about our biological um, bodies and biological wallets as oral cavities. Some people call our bodies a temple, but we call it a bank. Okay, so pay-as-you-go system, right, is also electronic, which is very, really convenient. So the scientists have discovered this special protein um, that's expressed by this bacteria that once you trigger it, can emit electromagnetic waves that can be picked up and monitored and quantified very accurately. Now, this will help us to keep track and monitor our, le our levels of wealth and bacteria in our mouths. Hackers have managed to convert a toothbrush that which we can use to trigger this response and monitor our banking. The, a simple mundane activity such as brush, brushing our teeth will now become an even more depressing event in the future. But perhaps more importantly, are we ready for this change? Technology has a power to make our lives better, for sure, and in some cases worse as well. But it also has a funny habit of showing these things in unpredictable ways. Can the new biological monetary system shift our values within our society? There are endless possibilities of how this could happen. And altering our social and cultural taboos could be one of them. An act of intimate kissing and exchange of saliva and the bacterial cells that contain within would not be an act of affection, but become a mere mechanical business transaction and a financial ritual. And snot and mucus are the same. Research shows that bacteria can be dried and formed into hard seed-like spores that can be stored outside of the body for several years, in fact. And could we see ourselves making savings from dried snot and mucus in the future? And how would they be stored, and could the value of beauty change as a result? Pick as you go is a system that proposes about technology as much as it proposes about money, that is designed to question our social, cultural, and ethical values that we have today, and those that we may have in the future. Radical changes to improve our financial system is a good idea, of course, but are we prepared to embrace the unforeseen changes and how can we design and prepare ourselves for a better future? You know, if we're paying for things in snot, could you just imagine how valuable a cold would become? If you have a burning idea of what you think money could look like in the future, it's never too early to start on your application for the 2016 Future Money Design Awards. For more details, go to futuremoneyawards.com. And one person already working on their entry is friend of FutureFest and comedian Steve Cross. I caught up with him in the nearby and noisy borough market to get his thoughts on the future of money. Well, we seem to be inventing lots and lots more ways to change money, but every time we do it, the fundamental fact that some people have loads and some people don't have very much doesn't seem to change. And it doesn't matter to me whether you measure that in pounds or bitcoins or universal credits or laser dollars or whatever. That, I think, is the big thing that we're not going to get around. Um, because any system, somebody's going to want to have more of it.
Belazer dollars would be cool. Yeah, it's a fictitious currency I've just invented in my head. Uh, even more transient than anything, it's based on a single laser beam that is bounced around infinite mirrors around the Earth. If you want to do a transaction, you have to put a tiny prism up in the air and refract a small amount of the laser beam that's pointing at you to someone else. That then is considered to have gone into their laser beam, laser dollar account. Uh, they can then split that up and so on. It's just Bitcoin, but instead of an electronic series of transactions, it's a single very powerful laser beam which can be split up over and over again. The nice thing about it is you can see the history of all of the transactions because all you do is fly a satellite up above, blow smoke across the continent, and you'll see the laser beam where it started and how it's been split up and split up and split up and split up. The whole map of every transaction ever done in laser dollars will be visible. But, I mean, how would you manage that? Like, couldn't you accidentally transfer more laser dollars than you intended to by, like, a simple fraction of a, a turn of your wrist in the prism? Yeah, accident uh, the other thing that could happen is that if you accidentally flew a light aircraft through the laser, people would think they suddenly had no laser dollars. And if that was the moment when they were trying to do a big transfer to buy a house or something, that'd be really embarrassing. So we'd probably have to set the laser at a specific height and then ban any interference with that height and do a lot to make sure that clouds didn't fly through it. You can imagine a cloud would just knock the value of your account down by 10% while it was sitting there and you suddenly think you're skint so you do some risky financial transaction to try and recover and then the cloud goes away. Yeah, no, the second thought is maybe laser dollars aren't a good idea. Yeah, maybe you should stick with physical currency at this point. Well, absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I'm all for physical currency because, you know, I've got a pound coin and it's a pound coin. I'm always confused by stuff like uh, so a Bitcoin really is the same thing as a Dogecoin, but a Bitcoin is worth a few hundred dollars and a Dogecoin is worth a millionth of a cent. But they're the same thing. And that, I'm sure there's fundamental economic reasons why that. Um, basically, we've all agreed that one's worth more than another. But whew, I'm an ex-scientist and that, that strikes it's quite hard to think about the world in those terms. I can officially say that my claim to fame is that I was there at the birth of laser dollars. To hear more from Steve Cross or take part in his chaotic open mic night for science lovers that happen across the UK, go to scienceshowoff.org. And that is it for this episode of the Future Fest podcast. This podcast featured music by Cosmo Sheldrake and Broke for Free. Future Fest is brought to you by Nesta, the independent innovation charity with a mission to help people and organizations bring great ideas to life. To join the conversation, go to the website nesta.org.uk. You will find a fine selection of videos from Future Fest and even more. We'll be back next time as we try to figure out what the future will sound like and the music that'll be taking us there. But until then, I'm Emily Elias. Goodbye.